So we are continuing the series that we started several weeks ago as we are on week five. We took a, a, a little break out last week for our celebration Sunday as we celebrated some baptisms and journey stories and hearing from one of our local ministries. And so here we're jumping right back into the Lord's Prayer as we are studying it. And just as I said, we have committed to starting this year off with prayer that amidst everything that's going on in, in our community and in our state and in our nation and in our world, we need to be seeking the Lord and, and, and fulfilling everything that he's called us to do. Um, as we have started this year, this fo- we are focusing in on the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I, as we see, again, there's a few different versions within Scripture of the Lord's Prayer, of this, this model prayer that Jesus gave in teaching of what true prayer should be and, and the different things that we should cover. Uh, and so, but the version that we have been focusing on through this series is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Matthew 6. Um, if you don't have your own Bible to have it with you today, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats. If you're here with us in person, if you're with us online, hopefully you have a Bible close. If not, you can just listen as I uh, read it. We're going to be reading again from Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 5 through 13. And this is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount uh, when Jesus teaches about prayer. So Matthew 6, uh, starting at verse 5, it says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly in street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that this is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as the people of other religions do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. But pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And as we see again this, this model prayer and, and even this, the introductory teachings of Jesus about ways that, that we should pray and, and some concepts that we need to keep in mind and, and in ways to, uh, to genuinely pray and, not, and to not do it, right? He uses a couple examples of, of ways to not pray. But yet, as Jesus teaches us about effective prayer, we, we see from these introductory statements, as well as the model prayer that is given, that, that effective prayer is more about your perspective and posture than about your practice. Again, Jesus describes the practice of prayer, whether it's a public prayer a fancy prayer, kind of all these things, and yet it all comes down to the focus of your heart, right? To the perspective that you come to God with when you pray, to, to the posture you bring, not just your physical posture, which, which can be important, but again, that physical posture can be representative of the posture of your heart. If I'm on my knees and praying, I'm humbly coming before God. If I'm, if I'm standing and raising my hands in prayer, I'm, I'm praising God for who he is and for what he's done, those, those physical postures, again, can, can help the posture of our hearts. And again, practice is still important. In fact, the most important thing about practice is the fact that we actually do it. 
Right? And, and we see, again, all of these play in from perspective to posture and practice into what effective prayer is. Again, it's been one of the challenges that we have been giving throughout this series is saying, what does your prayer life look like and how can it be stronger? And as we know that, again, um, some people are more familiar with the Lord's Prayer than others. You may have grown up in a faith tradition that repeated the Lord's Prayer as a, every, every week as a part of your regular worship. Uh, maybe you've never heard it before. Hey, but if you have heard it before, likely the version that you've heard is not the, the NLT version that we read here in the text, but, but the King James version is a lot more popular version, the one that is used in a lot of, of um, liturgies and, and routines and, and sayings that you do in, in more traditional style churches. And so this morning as we um, start, just as we've been doing throughout the series, again, I mean, we're going we're to recite the King James version. If you want to recite it with me, you're welcome to do that. Um, But as we say again, this traditional reading of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Again, we've been breaking down each phrase of the verse and seeing, uh, seeing what, what Jesus was teaching us by each phrase. And, and we know there's, there's a lot behind in concepts and, and, and lessons that Jesus was teaching behind each phrase of the verse. We started with our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And this phrase describes the tension that we must manage as a part of our faith journey between our Abba Father, this deep, intimate, relational connection with God, who is our Abba Father, and the all-powerful, sovereign God, that hallowed be your name, and how God is both. Right? And we come to him, and again, that's the tension we must manage, that he is a close, intimate relationship with us as our close Father, as, as well as the all-powerful, all-alpha and omega God. And then the, the second phrase, may your kingdom come soon, we looked at the th- different, three different aspects of faith that this addresses, of God's kingdom being established in our own hearts, in the second coming of Christ, and in God's kingdom being spread through us. It comes down to what kingdom we are building with our lives and who is on the, the throne of your life. Is God really your king? And then the next phrase we looked at, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We looked at how God's will is already established in heaven, how we are requesting that the same be done in our life. The whole prayer so far leads up to, to, to this request of God for his will to be done in all of these areas of our life. And, and this phrase represents a full submission and a full surrender to who God is and what he wants for us. And then two weeks ago, we got up to the first literal ask of the, of the prayer as we, were, we find ourselves halfway through the Lord's Prayer before we ask for anything. Right? And the, the first of three asks in the prayer is, give us today the food we need. And this isn't just about physical food, but more importantly about spiritual food, about what is feeding your soul. And as we have worked our way through this series and through the Lord's Prayer, 
Three weeks ago, I extended a one-month challenge to you. Right? And that challenge was to, to not focus on everything that's happening around us, but to focus on our faith and our faith journey and moving forward in that because that we turn to God for stability, not to anything else in the midst of the chaos of our world. And that was three weeks ago. Again, I don't know what God moved in your heart and what you were challenged to do in that. That's between you and him, right? He's your Abba Father. He will tell you what you need to do. But if we listen to his voice and if we follow through with that. Again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. Everyone's story is different as we've heard from many faith uh, journey stories that we've shared with our church family in, in recent months. I don't know where your faith journey is, but whatever step God is asking you to take, I hope you will take it as a part of this challenge. And, and to say, we are three weeks into that challenge. Maybe you've already made a lot of progress, and I hope that's true. But if, you, if you're the, the uh, you know, waiting until the last minute to get started on the challenge, this is your call for all those procrastinators. We got one week left in the challenge. Right? What are you going to do in that challenge to move forward in your faith? How are you doing in that challenge? Have you made progress? Have you even started? And now today we get to the next phrase of the uh, prayer, and that is forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, I, I will venture to say that I believe this is probably the most misunderstood phrase of the entire prayer. And, and one, again, we're going to look at that today. Um, but this phrase, again, is a two-part phrase. We have the very first part of forgive our sins, right? This, this confession that we come to, to the Lord with, with this confessions of whatever's going on in our life, wherever we have strayed from, from God's will for us. And then the second part of the phrase, which is, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, as we focus first on this very first part of this sentence, the, the forgive us our sins part, uh, first I want to start out and to say, obviously, the NLT version says forgive our sins. Again, we saw the, the King James Version uses the word debt. Now, as we look at, at, at this, this is the concept, again, that Jesus is teaching us. And again, this, this word for sin can be translated either way. They're, they're both, you know, adequate translations. But, but yet, thinking about our sin as a debt really brings on a different connotation. Right? That it is something that needs to be paid for. Right? That, that I, I am falling short, right, of what is asked. Of me, I am in debt. And again, there's lots of different ways that we define sin, but when you think about that, this, it's a helpful definition to think of it as a debt that needs to be paid. Right? And just as we see through Scripture and all of the teaching about money and possessions in Scripture, debt is never referred to as a positive thing in Scripture. And whether it's in the money context or especially in the spiritual context, it is, it is a, a chain, it is um, you know, something that is, pull, holds you back. And, and as we see that again within our lives, that's exactly what sin does for our soul. 
is it holds us back. It hinders your relationship with God. Right, and that's, again, the forgiveness of sins, which is the core of the gospel message, which is, again, why the, the heart of communion that we celebrated today, right, is to remind us the debt that we had and the price that has been paid for us through the Messiah, Jesus, and his death and his resurrection. And, and again, I receive that, right, by, by praying and accepting him as my Savior, right, by receiving that forgiveness and inviting him into my life. And, and that's, again, the moment of that salvation, of how I join the journey of faith. As we see this, this idea of of debts, we see here that Jesus is, is telling us, teaching us that we need to have a, a confessional lifestyle. Right? The, the confession needs to be a regular part of our prayer life. That, um, so why do I need that? Why do I need a confessional lifestyle? Why is it helpful for me? How does it move me forward in my faith journey to continue to confess? Well, we start off with the, the most important reason that we need a confessional lifestyle, and that is that a confessional lifestyle reminds me of my need for God. It reminds me of my need for God. We start off here at one of the best places, again, that we can start with the gospel message, the foundation of our faith in in Romans. And and again, Romans gives us a great um, pathway of um, foundation of what the gospel is and why we need it. We start with here, Romans 23, 3, 23 and 24. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So who needs the gospel? Everyone Everyone has sinned, right? We all fall short of God's standard, of his holiness. Again, that's not very good news, but it is the truth. The best news, though, is that it doesn't stop there. It says that is true, and yet God in his grace right, provided a way for our debt to be paid, right, through the person of Jesus. And he freed us from that penalty. We have been set free. And every time I pray in confession, it reminds me of the fact that I need God, that he is the one that set me free, that I cannot do it on my own. Every time I pray, every time I confess, it reminds me of my need for God. Because the reality is I, I will never get to the point until I am standing face to face with Jesus in heaven when I start my, my heavenly journey. But I will never get to the point in my earthly journey that I don't need to confess. That I'll get to where I, I'm sinless on this earth. Now, again, do I learn and grow and stop those obvious sins? Absolutely. That's a part of our faith journey. That's our growth, right? Is that God shows me something and I stop doing it because I realize that it's hindering my life. Right? And it's hurting me, and it's hurting my relationship with God, and it's holding me back. And again, realize that I've been set free. Again, we need to be moving forward, right? And I should not be confessing the same thing today that I was, you know, a year ago. Right? But I never get to the point where I, I'm not confessing. 
Again, there's this idea out there in theology that I can become sinless and above the need for confession in my earthly life, and I believe that is a lie of the enemy. Okay, because if we believe that, that we made to that point, we, we then get to the point where our ego starts to take over. Right, and in fact, again, the only way I will ever achieve that sinless life is when my earthly journey ends and my heavenly journey begins. And this part of the prayer is just like all the parts preceding it, that it not only applies to right now, but it also applies to that final judgment. Right, about when I hit that last confession and say, Jesus, take it all and make it gone forever. Again, the enemy doesn't give up. The enemy is smart and cunning. And the enemy will focus and do battle where he can do the most damage. Right? Which is with top leaders is where he can do the most damage. I have, I'm sure you've heard the phrase moral failure. Fall from grace. Right, we've seen, unfortunately, there has many, been many leaders in the church and out of the church that, that forget this fact, right? that they need to continue to confess because every time I do, it reminds me of my need for God. In, in Jeremiah 17, 9, this is, I think, one of the most truthful verses in all of Scripture. Right? It tells us, that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Again, I, I learn, right, that I can't always trust the voice of my own head. Right, because my sinful nature is still there. Now, again, that's, that's a big part of my journey moving forward is that it gets less and less and God gets more and more, right? And the more I hear God's voice, the less I hear you know, all the other voices in my life, right? And that's, that's a part of that. Again, I'm moving forward and sinless, but not sinless. Right, again, my goal and my journey is to sin less, but not be sinless until I'm face-to-face with God in heaven. So again, if I can't trust myself, who can I trust? Well, are of a father, right? You trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding, but seek his will in all you do, and he will show you what path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Right? I can't necessarily trust my own heart, but I absolutely can trust God. Right? And the more of his voice I get, the less that I come dependent upon my own, right? Or any of the world's voices. Right? And I listen to the voice that I know I can trust, right? That, because I know it's coming again from my, my Abba Father that, and the Alpha and Omega, right? He sees things I don't see. He, he can take me down paths that I don't even know I need, right? And I know that he loves me and I know that he's going to, Make me better. Okay, first, I need a confessional lifestyle because it reminds me of my need for God. That I can't save myself. And that I need to turn from my own selfishness and move towards fulfilling what God wants for me. 
And every time I pray and confess, I'm reminded of that. But that's, that's where it starts, but that's not the only reason I need a confessional lifestyle. I also need a confessional lifestyle because it reminds me of my need for community. I mean, can I be a follower of Jesus by myself without anybody else's help? Yes, I can. But it's not, it would not be easy. Right? God gave us the church because we need the church. Because we need community. We need people that are walking alongside of us to, to continue to encourage us and move us forward in our faith. Right? We, we've already looked at this verse in, in, in earlier weeks, but it, it, it warrants going back to again in James 5.16. It says, to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That the earnest prayer of a righteous person is great power and produces wonderful results. Again, this is, is an awesome picture of community and the power that it holds. Again, you don't have to go to church, but you should. Right? Because it will help you in your faith. Hey, because other people, other believers will help you in your faith. And every time I confess, it reminds me of my need for community. Right? And the reality is, we talked about listening to God's voice. The reality is, God's voice oftentimes sounds a lot like your best friend's or your spouse's voice, right? Or, or your pastor's voice or your companion's voice or whatever that, right? Whatever it is. Again, I, I can testify that God's voice sounds a lot like Maureen's voice a lot of times in my life. And I'm thankful for that. Right? Not just hers, but, but that my, my inner circle of people that I talk to and confess to, right, and, and confide in and pray with and, and challenge each other. Okay, we, we see here also in James in this, this same chapter, just a few verses later, right, as James talks about this community that's needed, we, we see again another reason we need community, and, and that's to keep us on the right path. Hey, James 5, 19 and 20, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Right? And we as community need to encourage each other, bring each other back when we see somebody straying. It's time for confession. Right? We need that community. Right, we see again this first part of this phrase of, of forgive me my sin right, is showing us this confessional lifestyle and how it reminds us of my need for God and my need for community and, and that this needs to be a, a core part of my daily walk with Jesus. But yet it's not where it stops, right? That's the first part of the phrase. The, the second part of the phrase is as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Again, I said at the beginning that this is like one of the most misunderstood phrases of the entire prayer, and this is why. This phrase is why it's misunderstood. Okay, because when we first read it, even the way that it gets translated, it, it, it almost feels like that it implies that if I don't forgive other people, that God won't forgive me. Right? That God's grace and forgiveness and mercy is dependent upon if I forgive other people. I will tell you is that that is not what it says. 
Okay, and as we look at this second phrase, I want to just point out a couple things that Jesus isn't saying with this prayer. Okay, the first one is this, that Jesus isn't implying a direct correlation or ratio between God's forgiveness and our forgiveness towards others. He is not doing that. And he said, that's why I feel like this is misunderstood a lot. You know, there's, there's a, another place in Scripture that gets misunderstood a lot, right? And, and again, and it's, it's always on those, those Facebook, you know, things where it says, if you don't share this, that God will deny you in front of you. If you deny him, he'll deny you, right? Like, and, and I'll tell you, if, if that's true, now that's, again, I believe that's taken it's completely out of context, right? And I don't think God, God cares if I forward a message on Facebook or not. Okay, and now, now, to say that, right, is, is, but it's for the same reason, right? That we take that, it, it implies, right, that God's love for me is dependent on how I treat other people, right? That comes down to the absolute opposite of the gospel, which is that I need to work for my salvation. Right? And that's, that's not true. Right? In fact, this is exactly what Jesus taught in the, the two greatest commandments. Right? If we look at, at this Again, Jesus sums up the entire law of the prophets with, with these two commandments in, in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is equally important, love your neighbors yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, I, I bring this up because to say what, right, it starts between just me and God. Right, and that's where the gospel starts. Right, it's between you and and God. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. Right? And if you do that first, right, then the way you treat other people will naturally fall in line because I learn how to love because I'm loved by God. Right? And when I'm loved by God, then I can truly love my neighbor because I learn what love really is. And the same is true with forgiveness. Right? I can forgive others because I have been first forgiven by God. Right? And the example of forgiveness that I receive from him is what enables me then to forgive others. We, we cannot lose the concept that is taught throughout Scripture, right? That God acted first. This is it says in John 419, right? We love each other because he loved us first. Right? And as, he, as we see that, again, we understand that God's love is not a direct correlation or ratio, right? That God doesn't love me based on how much I love other people. And the same is true with forgiveness, right? We love because we follow his example and we also Forgive because we are following his example. So Jesus isn't teaching that it's a direct correlation or ratio. Right? God acts first. And Jesus also isn't teaching us to just confess. He says it doesn't stop there. You have to also repent. Right? Meaning when I am forgiven and I confess and I'm forgiven by God, then that enables me then to, to move in a new direction, right? Meaning that I'm going to treat people differently because I've been forgiven. Again, he's not teaching us to just confess because confession is asking for forgiveness. 
right? admitting what I have done. But then repentance is moving in a new direction. Right? Confession is, 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 again, asking for forgiveness for what I've done. And then repentance is moving in a new direction. Again, the second part of this phrase is the repentance part. It's the part that teaches I'm going to change my actions because of my confession. Right? Because I confess, I will move in a new direction, and, and that will then affect my actions. You can have confession without repentance, but you can never have repentance without confession. Let me say that one more time, because that's pretty key. You can have confession without repentance, but you can never have repentance without confession. We start with confession, and then we move to repentance, which is moving in a new direction. Right, there's this, this famous story of Jesus as, as he's interacting with the adulterous woman. Okay, and the religious leaders of the time, they, they bring her and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And, and they, they, they throw the law at Jesus and say, the law says we should stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Okay, this is this pretty famous story in John 7:53 through 8:11, where Jesus says to them, yes, whoever is without sin can cast the first stone. And he gets, kneels down and starts riding in the dirt. And, and everybody starts peeling off because nobody's going to throw the stone because they realize that they have sin in their own hearts. I can go back, right? Everybody needs to confess. Right? And, and then we get to the end of this interaction. Okay, when everybody has, has gone away and, and it's literally just Jesus and the woman. And we see here in, in John 8, verses 10 and 11, it says, Then Jesus stood up and he said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus says, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Again, as we see this, right, again, I, I mean, her sins have been laid out in front of Jesus for all to see. But again, that the neither do I, that, that's the forgiveness part. That's the confession part, right? She's confessed, and now Jesus has forgiven her. But notice, that's not where Jesus stops, is it? He says, I don't condemn you. You've been forgiven. And then he says, now go and sin no more. That's the repentance part. She's been forgiven. And now she moves in a new direction. And that's exactly what we need to do as well. But when we pray this phrase, hey, we, we know it's not just about confession, right? But it's about changing my direction from that confession forward. It's about not going back to that sin, right? About moving in a new direction, in a new place. Jesus is teaching us that confession is vitally important in your daily walk with him, but it doesn't stop with confession. It needs to move to repentance so that I'm not confessing the same sin next year. Right, that I'm confessing today. Now on your outline, there's this reference in Matthew 18, verses 23 to 35. And again, we don't have time to read this parable today, but I encourage you to read it this week. Okay, this is 
the parable of the unforgiving debtor. And this is, again, where Jesus interacts um, or, and through this parable, and he teaches about not just confession, but about repentance. And from this parable, uh, we learn that the same lessons we learn from this phrase of the Lord's Prayer. We learn that everyone has, has a sin debt that cannot, they, they cannot pay. We learn that God needs to be the king of our heart and that he has the ultimate authority to do as he pleases, even forgive debts. We learn that forgiveness of that sin proceeds and yet is not dependent on any action by myself. That once I am forgiven, that I'm supposed to change and I'm supposed to be changed from the inside out. It starts with my heart and moves out to my actions. And we learn that our, the heart change will ultimately be reflected on how I treat other people. So as we think about our lives and our confessional lifestyle, where are you at in your journey? Have your debts been paid by Jesus? Are you moving in a new direction? The final thought for us today is this. A central part of our faith journey moving forward is an ongoing lifestyle of confession and repentance. And this will transform your heart and then affect your daily actions. So what do you need to confess today? What do you need to confess? What's holding you back in your faith? Maybe what's holding you back is that you've never confessed or received Jesus as your Savior. If you need to, to just confess your sins and invite him into your life for the first time and receive him as your Savior, then do that today. You can do that by praying and receiving him and confessing and asking him into your life. Right? Maybe you've already received Jesus as your Savior, but, but there might be something in your life that, that's holding you back. Maybe you've confessed the same sin over and over and over again, but you haven't moved to repentance. Maybe something keeps pulling you back out of repentance. Again, as we sing this last song together, I encourage you to confess what needs to be confessed and commit to repentance. Lord God, we thank you that our hope is found securely in you. God, that no matter what we have to confess, Lord, you, you paid that price. And we praise you for that today. Lord, we acknowledge our need for you. God, we thank you that you give us grace and mercy. And God, we put you on the throne of our heart today. And God, we commit to moving our lives in a new direction, Lord, to moving forward towards you, to be more like you tomorrow than we are today, God, as we grow in our faith and in our holiness. God, help us as we pray, God, that we will confess, that we will repent, God, and that, that through that, Lord, you will continue to mold our hearts, God, and to affect the way that we live our life every day and the way we treat other people. Because, God, ultimately, how we treat other people is how they will see you and how we will show the world who you are. God, as we go this week, I pray, God, that you will lead us, you will enable us, you will encourage us, God, to rise to the challenge that you give us in our life and in our faith. God, that we won't just confess, but God, we will truly repent. God, and we will serve you and love you with everything we have. We praise you that you give us 
the hope that can only be found in you. Lord, that you have set us free. And God, as we go this week, we bring honor to you in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Huh?